welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Welcome to Syosset Library's Turn the Page podcast. This is Jessica. I am your host today, and I am here with um, author Melody Edwards of Once Persuaded, Twice Shy, which is a retelling of Jane Austen's Persuasion. So um, I want to just sort of ask you a little bit about it. Tell us a little bit about yourself first, and then um, let us know, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about um, this book and sort of um, why, because the last book that you did um, a modern retelling of was um, Jane Eyre. Um, tell us how you got from Jane Eyre to persuasion. Uh, well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on. This is lovely. Um, so yeah, my name is Melody Edwards. I'm located in Toronto, Canada. And um, a little bit about myself. Well, I have a degree in English literature, and then I went to work in corporate communications. So I've been about 12 or 14 years as a communications advisor in the financial sector. During the pandemic, I sat down to write my first book, which was Jane and Edward. As you say, it was a modern imagining of Jane Eyre. Um, and for me, that was sort of, I'd spent very long in this particular kind of corporate environment. And I always just thought this would be a really great setting for Jane Eyre, which doesn't sound like a natural conclusion at first. But, you know, Jane Eyre is so much for me, it was so much about um, Thornfield Hall and that particular setting and the class structure and I was working in these very tall corporate towers that were were kind of looming and gothic and had a very clear class structure. And so I was just sort of imagined Jane Eyre sitting in a cubicle outside someone's office. Um, and so uh, I had a little time on my hands and the pandemic hit and I wrote it. And that went very, very well. And I found my agent and I found my publisher who are both wonderful women. Um, it's Melissa Edwards at Stonesong Agency and uh, Kate Seaver over at Berkeley. Um, and they wanted another book. So I went back to the classics I love, and Jane Eyre is one of my favorite books, favorite favorites, um, but Persuasion by Jane Austen is another one of my favorites. So I love the idea of, of tackling that one, the ultimate second chance romance. Um, and I put it in another Canadian setting, Niagara-on-the-Lake, which is right near the American border. And for those of you who read the book, it is a real place. It's more amazing than I could possibly have hoped to capture in my book. Recommend everyone visits there. Um, and yeah, and it's coming out February 27th. So I'm very excited about that. So first of all, it's interesting because yes, you say, you know, second chance um, romance, ultimate uh, second chance romance is a huge trope now, quote unquote trope in romance. And I suppose one one could consider, um, one could consider persuasion, like the original second chance romance although i guess you could also consider wuthering heights a second chance romance even though that's the more messed up version of it <laughs> um, <laughs> now that i'm thinking about it i'm like oh i mean kind of but also you know it doesn't really end very well for them um second chance romance if you don't mind the romance happening from beyond the grave sure yeah and also just you know horrible people involved and you don't 
necessarily know if these people should even be a couple, but that's a whole other, that's a whole other story altogether. Um, but no, persuasion is definitely more, I think, of when we read romance novels, especially recently, what people would say, oh, this is a second chance romance. This is a story of two people who were together and for reasons Possibly, especially in um, the case of Anne and Wentworth in the original, you know, I mean, it was Regency times and what your family, when your family was like, you need to break this engagement off, it certainly meant more modern times when you're just like, okay, yeah, you, you two shouldn't be together. Um, but now, you know, bringing something like that into um, a modern setting, it felt very natural the way that you did it in one persuaded twice shy so I think that like you know we do see a lot of these retellings um but persuasion I believe that was was that um Jane Austen's last published book her last completed published book yeah she had she had a couple more there's Sanditon and the Watsons which unfortunately she didn't get to finish so it is one of her more uh more mature pieces and I think that you know that's something that people seem to take away from it um that it is considered one of her angstier romances, um, but more mature because you do have people. Well, I mean, to us, Anne's age isn't, you know, when you're you're pushing 30 now, like that's not like, oh, you've missed your chance. But back then it was. Um, so how did you sort of like when you were kind of putting together, you know, translating this to Hudson on the lake, um, translating how um, in this case, it's Ben Wentworth came back into her life and sort of what broke them apart. Like, did you, you know, what, what were you kind of looking at, um, you know, to, to make it feel both fresh and also um, like persuasion? Yeah, well, um, when I do these reimaginings, uh, I try to do them a little differently. Uh, I love retellings. It's, it's a wonderful fun. I heard someone heard it was the cottage industry and it is and they're wonderful fun to read I try not to go beat for beat from the original novel because it's so tough to translate you know Regency era etiquette's not going to fly nowadays so certain situations you've just got to let go of but what I try to do is I try to look at the character arc for each of the main characters and what are the seminal events in each of the in the original novel that sends them on their character arc so the accident um, in original persuasion, when Louisa Musgrove falls off the wall and it's a huge deal, like that is a seminal event. So I look to capture pieces like that. And then the rest, I kind of fill in as I please, as long as they're on that character development. Um, you mentioned Anne's age. Anne's age is such a funny one in persuasion. And and, and it was a concern when I first started because we had very different ideas about aging. But when I went back and reread the novel, I always think it's interesting. They always say, you know, she's sort of on the shelf and there's this implication of that horrible word spinster and she's 27. And of course we all laugh and roll our eyes at that. But Jane Austen herself was 27 when she received a marriage proposal. And if you go into the book, Anne's older sister, Elizabeth is 29 and still considered on the market. So what I took from that is it's not so much Anne's age as Anne's attitude that Anne has given up on life. And later in the novel, when she's you know, sort of feeling refreshed and a, and a handsome stranger gives her an admiring glance and she's all perked up again. It's like, oh, well, Anne's back on the market. So I always took that as more of an attitude. Um, and so what I wanted to explore was 
why someone would so shut down that aspect of their life um, and turn their face to the wall, as it were, that they're regarded as, you know, downtrodden and the wallflower and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so translating that to modern times, it's just someone who has such a such a busy, such a full life, so many responsibilities, so many responsibilities at a very young age um, that she would not necessarily turn her face away from that aspect of her life, but she's forgotten about it entirely. So that's how I sort of translated it to modern times. And Ben Wentworth coming back into her life is her looking around her life and going, wait a minute, when did this happen? Um, so that was sort of my modern interpretation. <laughs> So Niagara on the Lake is a real place, and I actually have been there. Uh, there was a, have, believe it or not, so there was a um, New York Library Association conference in Niagara Falls, and of course, we all went across to, you know, <laughs> Canada, um, and um, you know, spent some time there uh, because it is quite nice, um, and uh, it is, it was, it was gorgeous when I went. Um, have you spent a lot of time there yourself? Um, I've seen, I saw a lot of people sort of uh, just online describing the town as sort of like, in a way, its own little charming character, having these small town vibes, um, you know, fall. Some people described it almost as Gilmore Girls, Stars Hollow. Um, have you spent a lot of time there? How did you sort of, um, how did you sort of build the town itself as a character? Yeah, I, I, I've spent a tremendous amount of time there. So um, it's not far from where I live. It's maybe an hour, an hour and a half drive. So you go for a weekend, you go for the day, we go all, like, go all the time. They've got tremendous wineries. They've got the theater festival. They've got the spas and the shopping. Like, there's so many reasons to go. You say Niagara Falls is down the road for some of the more nightlife kind of fun. Um, so I'm very familiar with it. When I was writing this, I did go back more often to try and capture it and it's just it's so unique because it is it is got that Gilmore Girls Stars Hollow vibe it is a small town it's been a small town since it started but it is a small town that has had so much history it's where major battles were fought it's where a fort is and you know in other places we sort of plow down history and put up something new we put up the we put up the condos we put up the new shopping centers etc and Niagara on the Lake has just sort of been like a patchwork quilt where this building is from 17 something or other and this building is from 1910 so you've got all the history captured so I just kind of went up and down the streets and I picked out the places that I love the Prince of Wales Hotel with the Churchill Lounge and things like that and I just kind of picked those off for the most because of the seminal events that I wanted. So there's a part in the book where Anne's father just absolutely mortifies her. And I'm like, let's do that in the Churchill Lounge, which is the most lovely, quiet, soothing, quaint, like elegant place. And I'm going to give her a major embarrassment there. So it was using the setting uh, to help me craft what I needed to happen in the book. But it was also just trying to highlight my favorite places. And the book's not long enough for me to put them all in. There's so much more to the town. There's so much more on the outskirts of the town. Like I tried to put in some of the hiking trails and things like that. But even though it's a major tourist destination and it's got all these attractions going on, it does still sort of have that small town feel. A lot of the businesses are multi-generational. Um, there's a lot of outlying farm area and the farmers come in. Like I went for their Santa Claus parade and it's just absolutely lovely. Like it's the lo local Rotary Club and the local this club and that club. And they've got their tractors from the farms hitched up and stuff. So it's just a really unique character. I, I did love Gilmore Girls growing up as a teenager. I watched that a lot. So I wanted to pull in some of those elements because I think that's also 
recognizable for people when I'm trying to describe this town that's kind of really unique. I also was curious um, when you were conceiving of who um, Anne and Wentworth were going to be in a modern setting, how did you decide like what their paths were going to be, what their jobs were going to be? Yeah, the thing with Anne is it, it, it's tricky because in the original novel, she's so downtrodden, she's so wallpaper, she's so overlooked. But and again, that's that's a lot of Regency etiquette that's making that so as well as her attitude. So that's hard to translate. But when I like look to the underlying elements of Anne, she's incredibly competent. Um, you know, when her family's going bankrupt, she's the one who draws up a new budget when they refuse the budget and they have to leave uh, Kellynch Hall. She's the one that says goodbye to the tenants and goodbye to the servants. And she take care of, takes care of her sister, Mary. She takes care of her nephew when he's injured. Like it's just competence, competence, competence. I envisioned a whole second persuasion book where Anne was like an emergency room nurse <laughs> being overlooked by the doctors. There's so many ways I could draw that out. So when I decided to do modern imagining, I'm like, right, how do I make Anne central to this location? And what are the kinds of jobs I can give her where there's so much responsibility um, and yet people would take her for granted. So she's not an actress on the stage. She's not the artistic director in command. She's the executive director the budgets and the scheduling and the salaries and, you know, all that behind the scenes, less glamorous stuff. And then I made her a town councillor. What about the zoning rights and the dog off leash rights? And, you know, it's the admin of life that absolutely needs to be done, but that is not particularly glamorous. So those are the jobs I gave her, the executive director of the theater festival and town councillor. For Ben um, Wentworth, you know, in the original novel, Wentworth is a dashing sea captain. It doesn't, quite translate as much so although I tried did try to put the military element in there with his family um his uncle is part of the Royal Canadian Air Force um so but I but then the important elements of the book is that Wentworth comes back very rich and very important in the original novel so I thought where can I give him consequence and fortune so I sent him to Toronto to be in a um a venture capitalist basically he's a banker um so he's come back the exact opposite of of what he left as and and that's what i tried to capture from the original novel you know in the beginning of persuasion he's very dashing but he's not made his career yet there's a war on he's a naval captain it's very dangerous and austin has this little line that a lot of people overlook that says you know he earned money but he spent money freely too so he's a little bit of a spender if he's a little bit of a flake so I wanted to bring him back as equally responsible and competent as Anne, but in a much more glamorous way. And my first novel was set in Toronto's financial district. We have Bay Street, like in America, you have Wall Street. So I sent him to Bay Street that he could kind of come to that small town again with the consequence of Bay Street. Um, and then just kind of have their two careers clash that way and have the forced proximity that they have to work together on this winery project. Yeah, so um, it was super fun to read. And, you know, you again, like one thing we, we talked, you mentioned you like Gilmore Girls. And I mean, one thing that Gilmore Girls and Jane Austen has in common is a lot of witty banter. Um, did Were you trying to capture anything specific when you sort of wrote the dialogue? Yeah, I, I love writing dialogue. So I, I started my creative writing career doing plays in high school and university. Um, so dialogue's my favorite thing to do. I'm a bit of a motor mouth myself. Um, for translating the original persuasion, I thought the difficulty is going to be 
In the original novel, you're having a whole bromance with two people who won't look at each other and won't talk to each other. You know, everything is coded as everything is what they say to other people and their sideways glances and stuff. And that's really tough for modern readers because um, we're used to being freer, right? You text your ex or you stalk them on Facebook or whatnot and people confront each other. So a whole romance where no one makes eye contact is difficult. So I thought, I'm going to have this town and fill it with these quirky characters. And then Anne and Wentworth have to be rather serious. But the background characters, I'm going to fill up the page with their antics and their banter and their comedy. So there's lots of activity, but there's also lots of sort of traffic interference so that Anne and Wentworth can't really ever sit down and have a real conversation. Um, and so that's what I was going for. I love the banter of Gilmore Girls. I love the banter of the West Wing, the original walk and talks, things like that. I did study comedy writing at the Second City here in Toronto for a little bit. Um, and a lot of that is teaching you how to do pure dialogue for sketches. So I drew on that as well, just to try it. I just wanted the, pa the page to be full, you know, and, and not just purely Anne and Wentworth not looking at each other. As much as that's important, the angst and the longing, the pining is all part of the lovely romance that we love. But uh, I wanted to fill the page with some activity and some fun and some chatter as well. Yeah, it definitely worked. And I think, um, I mean, I'm a fan of places that have casts of crazy background characters as well. Were there any, um, I have to ask, like, did you kind of, um, was there anything else you drew upon while you were uh, sort of filling in the the pages and um, painting, you know, painting everything to make it feel um, like a really full world? Um, well, I feel like just, you know, pillaging the, the, the real setting helped me fill it in a lot for sure. Um, when I was writing this book, I was completing my master's degree in communications. Um, and a lot of the content of that, because I was doing communications in the financial world, was business wheelings and dealings. So I felt like a lot of that crept in the novel. So when they're having their arguments over, you know, where they're going to put the new theater stage and how much the winery land is worth and things like that, I think I got a lot of that in there. And that probably filled it up as well. Um, Possibly at one point I was worried I was doing too much. I was like, I, I, I think I've got a lot of my marketing essay here in my book. And I'm a little concerned that my marketing essay possibly has a makeout scene. So I better go check that. <laughs> it's just crossing between academic writing and that. Um, so I used I used what I was learning. I used my own experience in the financial world, um, my own experience of quirky colleagues and the antics you can get up to, and then just really let my imagination run wild on the small town um, antics. One of the things that a lot of people have remarked on is the mad goose, the mad Canadian goose who's running through the whole novel. I live in a harbor and the Canadian geese are here several times a year and they are a huge pain in the butt and they will charge at you and they will hiss at you and they will keep you up all night with their squawking and leave green poop everywhere. So I'm like, you know what? A little comic relief that's going in the novel. There's going to be a mad Canadian goose in there. Yeah, I have to say, I love that. Um, I mean, for part of part of my question about the goose, I mean, as a Canadian goose, just when I, whenever I think about geese on the loose, goose on the loose, I think about um, uh, what is that movie, Hot Fuzz, where there's always a, a goose on the loose in the background. I don't know if you've seen that. That's right. Oh my goodness, I forgot <laughs> about that movie. They had the mad goose in there too. Oh, that was a great film. But that was, but that was a white goose. That wasn't a Canadian goose, which which we we get here, and they are super super aggressive. But I guess mm -hmm. I, I could I was I was wasn't sure if um, that was kind of in the back of your mind as well because that was sort of always a thread 
running running through where like you know that was another i mean obviously it was a completely different eccentric town but you had the people who every now and then would be like oh did you catch that goose yet you know what that was probably somewhere deep in my subconscious because i i did love that film when it came out it was fantastic it was a lot of fun would you ever want to see this adapted into a film i think that'd be a lot of fun yeah i i would just because there's so much visual uh so much visual scenery in the book that it can be found in real life and because there are those I tried to put in a lot of those physical comedy scenes. They're trying to capture the goose or, you know, they've got the October pumpkin festival going awry and the pumpkin got splattered everywhere. And I think that'd be a lot of fun. I'd love to see that. Who would you cast as um, the main characters? Oh, that's so tough. You know what? What I love when I do the novels is people on Instagram, like come up with their favorite casting and they, I, I have all these saved clips of bookstagrammers who put their favorite casting for Jane and Edward. I'm not even sure. It's a kind of role. I, I, I mean, it might have been early in her career. It's a kind of role I could have seen Anne Hathaway doing. That kind of that kind of actress. You want you want someone sort of intelligent and delicate, but um, with a certain underlying strength. Who see? Yeah, who seems like you said super super confident and um, who could, you know, lead a situation. Who would you cast? I'm curious. Oh, God. Emma Roberts is also very good. Um, oh yeah, that would work. If, if I can you know see her, that. I like. Yeah. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, who's young? Like you know, because we like. I don't think of myself as old, but like we're getting kind of back into the whole like fact that like in the Regency era, you know, I, I remember I forget which one it was that I saw, but you know, it was like the older sister. She's in her mid twenties, and I'm like, that's not old. Um, but, you know, trying to think of like who would sort of be in the right um, age group for that. I mean, I do I do think that um, Emma Roberts could probably could probably pull that off. Um, but, yeah, I'm always nice. I'm always a fan of the unknown. The unknown uh, actors. Um, so anyway, are you working on um, anything else at the moment? I am I am working on my third novel right now. I'm uh, possibly pursuing an original plot this time for something different. Um, but that's all I can say at this time. I'm, I'm fiddling around with some new ideas and some new elements. So very cool. Well, um, my, I guess my last question is, what do you like to read? Oh, well, I love going back to the classics. So I've read them a thousand and one times. Um, you know, I, I, I love to read the modern romances, but I, I've not gotten to them so often since I started reading them. Um, I love murder mysteries. I love, uh, the old Agatha Christie's. I love Anthony Horowitz. He's got a series where he's, he himself as the author has written himself into the book. Um, and there's so much fun. Um, yeah, I try to think when I just, when I just picked up that, that that's, a, I love the murder mysteries. Those are going really well. There's a series called uh, Agatha Raisin, and it's been going for years and years. And I just found the TV show, and that sent me hurtling back to the book. So I'm I'm really enjoying that. It's a PR person who's become a private detective, so it's really fun too because she's using her PR tactics instead of the usual sleuthing tactics. That's pretty cool. I like that. I've actually heard of Agatha Raisin. Is that a British series? It's a British series. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very cool. Well, this has been super, super fun. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about when it comes to um, when it comes to once persuaded, twice shy? Anything else you want to tell readers? 
No, uh, I don't think so. It's available in all stores. It's out February 27th. Um, I hope everybody likes it. And um, yeah, I, I'm I'm available on Instagram. I love it when, when readers reach out and send me messages that I like this or I didn't like this. I love hearing the feedback. It's really great. So uh, I hope people find the book and I hope they have fun with it. Thank you so much. Uh, so this is Jessica with Syasset Library's Turn the Page podcast. Our guest today was Melody Edwards. Um, check out Once Persuaded, Twice Shy. It will also be at your libraries or your bookstores, wherever you get your books. Um, check it out. And we are going to close this chapter of Turn the Page. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.